The tyranny was broken by the sins of the Father, and his shepherds finally ceased to roam, seeking instead the simple peace found in the comfort of heart and home. All eyes now turn to his heir and son, who forged their home with his power. Will he be strong enough to lead them in this, their darkest hour? Welcome back to The Lost Tribe, Darkest Hour. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow and subscribe to help me keep bringing the story to you. Thank you for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 24 Henry's lab took up a good amount of the chambers that sat underneath hearth. It included two large chambers strictly for large chalkboards and desks for designs that could sit and hang for weeks as he worked on them, a main chamber for construction of said designs, a small blast chamber in case something went terribly wrong, numerous little nooks and cells for storage and armory, and a tiny chamber where Henry once set up a cot before Dacum had found it and told him that it wasn't acceptable. I believe it is for garbage now. He had brought us through into one of the chambers reserved for planning. Five chalkboards stood on wooden supports with wheels around the stone chamber. Three of them were covered in scribbled notes and designs, and the other two were blank. Behind them, hanging ominously from the stone wall, was a tarp. The floor was littered with pieces from various inventions. Scrap metal, wooden bits, and shattered glass were swept up in little piles, leaving the middle of the room virtually spotless. It was very dim within but a wide archway led out of the chamber into the main chamber. Multicolored lights streamed out from inside and danced across the surfaces of several devices lined on the workbenches inside. Nice of you to clean up, I said, carefully stepping around one of the piles of garbage. I wasn't expecting anyone. You work in here? Jules asked. How do you get anything done in this gloom? Henry bent down and touched a crack in the floor. A spark of energy left his finger, and it lit up a line of light in the crack, and that line traveled in a swirling pattern that swept across the floors, up the wall, and crisscrossed itself up the ceiling to form large intersections of patterned light that came together over the exact positions of the chalkboards. If I wasn't so pissed with him, I'd be really impressed. Whoa! Flynn exclaimed, looking around at the patterns. Whoa, indeed, I said, my arms folded. I was getting more irritated with each moment. I had made all this possible for him, and this is what he does with it? Yeah, he has done an incredible job creating devices to aid us, but this was all just too much. I walked over to the wall where the tarp hung and pointed. Are you going to explain this, or do I kick your stuff out of the way and rip the damn thing off? There is no need for that. Takum murmured, stepping in front of me. We will cooperate. Godlike powers or not would be very hard for me to take down Dakum, and I'm damn glad it wasn't coming to that yet. This man had been my friend for years, and I'd watched him fight for all of us with strength and wisdom. Dakum was a wise man, and a good person. The idea of acting against him sickened me and twisted up my guts. Then let's get on with it. We gathered in the middle of the room while Henry carefully moved the chalkboards out of the way. Once they are moved out of the way, the light hit the back wall perfectly. With a sigh, Henry reached up and grabbed the top right corner of the tarp and withdrew it from its position. Henry had bolted a large piece of smooth wood along the wall, nearly a dozen feet long and eight feet tall. 
There were three large pieces of parchment tacked up onto the wood, the curling corners carefully secured by small iron pins. They were absolutely blank. See, he said, there you have it. Takum frowned at him, and Henry's shoulders sagged. Oh, very well. He reached into a small pouch on the side of his vest and pulled out a familiar-looking stylus made of coal. He touched the surface of the first parchment with the stylus. In a moment, designs and figures appeared all across the page. Both Casey and I bristled as we saw the central picture was... Flynn, drawn in overlapping images of his growth. Beside it was an image of his face that was nearly identical to what he looked like now, if a bit older. The rest of the page was filled with numbers and figures whose purposes I didn't recognize. Uh, I found your little journal once on the floor in the hall, Casey, when I was roaming around through the castle. You must have dropped it or something. I had a look at it. I realized what it was, and then I committed it to memory. I slipped it back into your quarters while you were away. It had all the data I needed to start my own figures about Flynn, when he would mature, and what was causing him to do so. When you, Mick, included me in keeping tabs on Flynn... It uh, gave me the opportunity to study him a lot more closely. You bastard! You knew it was what happened to Flynn, didn't you? Uh... We trusted you with him! How could you do this? Case was nearly glowing with rage, her eyes twin pinpricks of light. I took her hand. Oh, there's more to come, I think. I need you to keep calm for me. That would be appreciated, Henry murmured. I glared at him, holding on to Casey. I looked over at Flynn. He looked up at the figures with a puzzled look, and I could tell he was trying to comprehend the scope of what Henry was talking about. You kept track of me because you're scared of what I'm becoming. Did you did you know the exact day? A dangerous edge had crept into Flynn's voice. No, no, Flynn, I had no idea what was going to happen. I began to understand last year that there was some kind of relationship between how quickly you aged being in this place. But I didn't catch on to the bloodline thing until a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't until I thought about how all this started that I realized how dead simple it truly is. Then, you know, there's this. Henry touched the stylus to the second page, and the great curving design that I had watched him draw came into view. From the figure standing beside it in the drawing, the design was a huge mirror. A disc nearly six feet wide, and placed by a beautifully carved design made from oak or ebony, reinforced with iron. At its base, wired to the frame was an object I recognized immediately. A medallion. Around the design were mathematical equations, and additional diagrams that were a complete mystery to me. A small illustration caught my eye, showing the mirror as part of a long tunnel, which cuts its way through something called an any space. The illustration of the tunnel ended with a question mark. We were all staring at the paper with wonderment. Please... Hold your questions for a moment. Henry nodded at Takum, and Takum stepped into the main chamber. I had the odd feeling that Henry was enjoying just being able to finally tell us about all this. It's too bad that his timing was so off. There was a squealing sound, and Takum stepped back into the room, pulling a large object on wheels. It was covered with a drop cloth, and was gently humming as Nakum wheeled it in. He stared it into view, and pulled away the sheet. It was the device described on the design. It was breathtakingly beautiful in actual fact, the frame more impressive than the sketches, and the surface of the mirror was dark and lustrous. Sparkles of light gleamed and diminished, like twinkling stars. The medallion part of the design was missing. Perhaps Henry had figured out some kind of alternative. 
Jules walked up and reached out to touch its surface. No! Henry grabbed her hand and shoved her back. Jules bristled and looked at me. The mirror is trapped, isn't it? Yes. Currently, it only responds to myself or to Coombe. I couldn't risk either of you coming down here and finding it, or worse, activating it. I've known about Silas, Sinea, and their people for a long time now. They communicated with me years ago, soon after I made the medallions. They asked me to watch you, Mick. They were concerned that you would become just like Father, and that was something that their people couldn't afford. You see, back then they had just recently emerged as the next evolution of their people, and there were still some remnants of their people that bore Manon's mad legacy. They either imprisoned or destroyed those people, branding them renegades. Along with those acts, they also started trying to push the idea of a stable relationship between Teloth and us. I'm sorry, but the potential for knowledge was too high for me to pass up. I was also concerned that they might be right about you. What about us? Does the fellowship that we have mean nothing to you? Henry shrugged and shook his head. If it meant that we could make the world safer for doing it, then I... I had to take the chance of disappointing all of you. In a sense, you and I have kept our secrets for nearly the same reasons. I hope you can see that. It was an awkward situation that we'd been put in by Silas. My trust in him was shaken. Because how could I trust someone who was playing my friends against me and asked me to take risks for his cause when I was working in the dark? Did you know that he sent someone to try to deal with Penny? Uh, no. In fact, last time he visited the city, that was revealed to us in return for exactly what Silas had promised you. Except that he wouldn't tell us what that agent was seeking. I cut ties with him afterward. You've been to Teloth? Uh, that's right. As you know, we can't go where we've never been before, but using the mirror I was able to speak with the siblings directly and get an idea of what the place looks like. Once they invited us to come, I couldn't exactly refuse. What do we do about all this, Mick? It was a good question. The problem of trust remained, but I honestly had to think that my friends had stuck with me despite all the things that I had kept from them. I at least owed Henry the benefit of the doubt. I really didn't think that he meant to do anything to hurt us. I knew the kind of person he was, and it was in his nature to explore that. And to question. The fact that he kept all of this from us had hurt, but again, what I did was no different. Only one thing remained. We're not done here yet. What's the last page, Henry? The page swirled with numbers and letters, and a language that I didn't recognize. It was a series of glyphs in vertical rows, interconnected by stylized arcs that grouped them together in sections whose purpose I didn't know. They surrounded a diagram depicted around 20 orbs. As I looked closer, I recognized that each orb had a name. They were the worlds that I protected. But there weren't that many. I squinted to read a couple of them, but the names were unfamiliar to me. Golgon? Isolith? Pariah? I've never heard of these. What is all this? Henry's eyes gleamed with wonder as he looked at what he had written. More of Father's Lies Uncovered. Just as Teloth is hidden to you, so are these lost and broken places. Silas and his sister represent the repository of their people's knowledge. Some of that knowledge came from Menon, from before Father performed his great editing of the minds of the shepherds. Those worlds that you don't recognize were, according to Menon, part of Father's original attempts to create life. Before he decided to create the many worlds, he worked on one after another, apparently, discarding them if they didn't work out. 
Manon didn't know much more than that, and as you well know, father wasn't very forthcoming. What happened to the people? Flynn asked, touching one of the planets on the page. I have no idea, but I'd imagine that they are long dead if father walked away from them. The implications were staggering. In that moment when I had access to what father knew, when I learned of how the system worked with the Underrealm, I never stumbled on the existence of these places. What else didn't I know? You mean that they're still out there? We think so. Sunia has an amazing grasp of the laws that govern the universe we live in. I learned a lot from her that helped me build the eyes and the mirror. Anyway, she figured out, based on what we have to go on, that those worlds are out there. But since no one remembers them, we can only get there using a vessel that could traverse the stars. But, you know, if, say, you had been in direct contact with Manal... Oh, the wraiths! Jack and Penny! Those planets would be a perfect place to hide! Exactly. Don't suppose you have a spare spaceship you've been working on? Henry's shoulders sagged and he bowed his head. Takum came over and patted him on the shoulders. Henry let out a long and lingering sigh. Ah, uh, Sunia knows so much more than I do about these things. I really tried to figure it out, but it's... that's, uh... Oh, wow, Casey whispered. You don't understand something. Yes, Henry cried, raising his fist to the ceiling. It's beyond my understanding. At last, I have been proved the idiot child. Let's all just rejoice in my fucking idiocy. Wait, did you not share this with us because you were embarrassed? Henry lowered his hands and looked at the floor. You all depend on me for answers, he said, pulling a rolled out smoke from a pack in his vest. I had all these pieces laying around in a jumble, and even when I tried to look at them all at once I couldn't see what the connection is. It is my great work, and it is incomplete. <laughs> nearly pissed myself. I'm sorry, what did you just call all this? Henry lit his smoke and took a long drag. My great work? Why? It was his voice in my head. I'd shared what he knew, even if I hadn't realized it. I didn't know what it all meant, only getting pieces that Henry's guarded mind would allow. What about the paintings that Takum made? Oh yeah, paintings, actually. You'd be amazed how clear the skies are on Teloth. You can see very far from there. We made sketches of the four missing planets using a piece of technology I found on Caldon a little while ago. I didn't know you painted, Casey said to Takum. He's a man of many hidden talents. Henry replied, hugging Takum's arm. Let's show him what you've made. Follow me. We passed through the arch into the main chamber. There were a few inventions with tarps thrown over them inside, pushed against the walls. Along one wall was a long wooden counter with dozens of round pits carved into the surface. Almost all of them were empty, but a few towards the end held the round metal and glass orbs that we had come to know as Henry's eyes. These last ones seemed to be either broken or partially taken apart. We were all mesmerized by the fifteen glass portals that Henry had attached to the far wall. They were all connected by a series of copper wiring clamped down by a huge steel frame that held each glass portal by a series of steel claws. Through each portal we could see the worlds going by as if from high above. There were a set of folding chairs set against the wall beside the screen to sit and view it all. Casey, Flynn, and Jules had stopped, and were fascinated by what they saw. The eyes were on patrol, their sensitive systems on the hunt for our type of energy. When they were active, they became nearly invisible to the naked eye. Despite the fact they hadn't found anything yet, they were truly a marvel. Now, at least, we understood why they failed to find anything. I'm sorry this didn't work out the way you expected, Henry. I said, taking up one of the broken eyes in one hand. I'm guessing you were humoring me when you went to deploy them. Technically, yes. I still held with some hope that our enemies would be brazen enough to try to use their powers openly we'd have somewhere to start. 
I'm sorry too, Mick. Not just about this, but what I said before. I know. I guess I didn't realize how much damage I was doing myself by keeping the secrets that I did until now. Henry held out his hand. I'm sorry that I lost my trust in you, Mick. Can we move on from here? I looked back at the others. Casey smiled at me and Jules rolled her eyes. Flynn was very quiet and he wouldn't meet my gaze. But we had to work together if we were going to get through all this. I took Henry's hand in a firm grip when we shook hands. In that brief moment, I looked into his mind and looked for any trace of deceit. There was nothing there, only relief. It matched my own replacing that nagging feeling that had been persistent in my mind. I think we'd better see these paintings, gents. With pleasure, Henry replied. We continued on through the chambers of Henry's lab. He touched parts of the walls and moved through, activating illuminating swirls and patterns that continued along the way. The patterns continued, taking us through another hallway and into a chamber with square canvases attached to a vaulted ceiling by steel wire with counterweights. The light swirled up the walls in another spiral, the central point lost in the vaulted seal above. As the light grew around us, we began to see the details of the paintings. Beautiful renderings of the worlds as only someone seeing them from space itself could depict. Such detail. I'd never really had a lot of schooling, but I could appreciate something that took effort and talent when I saw it. I walked around looking at them all awestruck by something I'd never truly seen before. The worlds were all together, part of the same whole and drawn as one. I wish everyone I appointed as representatives could see them like this. Some of the worlds I recognized, but many of them I didn't. There were no tags at the bottom of the pictures, no identifying marks for the unenlightened eye. Strangely, that was me at this moment. This is amazing, Dacoon. All those hours scouring the world for the right pigments. Takuma smiled. Substituted easily by a frequent visit to an art supply store, Henry muttered. It is all about the craft, Takuma replied with a smug smile. Yeah, yeah. I had a feeling this was not a fresh argument, so I wandered off to look at something else. One world in particular caught my eye, and I waved Casey and Flynn over to see it. They were as taken with Takuma's work as I was, and they were came over to me as if dazed. The world was mostly blue, with small masses of polar ice. Much diminished continents sat among the huge oceans, and great stormy masses of clouds drifted across the sky. For a moment I was filled with a longing for a simpler time, when I was only responsible for a few lives, rather than billions. Avalon, Casey said, staring up at the painting. Casey took my hand. He can never take away that from you, Mick. You are exactly who you're supposed to be. I turned to her, shocked by how easily she had cut through what I was thinking, and hit right at the heart of things. When I first met Father, he had told me that he had been my dad from time to time to check on me. Father was a miserable liar and a manipulator, and I could easily believe that he had pulled it off. He had strung me along for the longest time, and now, even from the grave, he had done it again. I wondered how far his plans went into our future, and was glad that he would never see them realized. In control, Flynn said. That's right. Speaking of which, which ones are the missing planets? Henry turned around from the whispered discussion he was having with Takum. Ah, uh, the first one is here, he said, pointing to a canvas on the outer edge of what they'd arranged. This, uh, this here is Golgon. 
The painting showed a dark green orb with barely any water and very little atmosphere. Here and there, land masses bobbed out of the green and they were dotted with craters. Takum had painted spots of something dark and smoldering red in the land masses, which I assumed were volcanoes. The atmosphere was thin and had a yellowish tint to it. Yeah, I'm not sure what all the green stuff is. Could be jungle or algae, or just the color of the water. Something happened there. Human life got wiped out there, and he just cut it off, Jewel said quietly. It seems like something he'd do. What happened to that one? Flynn was pointing at another one of the outskirts. I moved to where he was looking and was astounded by the painting. The world was swathed in swirls of broken stone, and only half of the mass of the planet remained. Where it had been broken off, the inside still burned deeply in the core. The surface was blackened, and most of the atmosphere was gone, leaving the mist one finds in a sonor in the deep jungle. Superheated steam boiling away into space. That is Isolith, Takum said. Sinea named it after their word for memory, in the memory of the moon in this case. Oh yes, Julia said. The moon's gone. It's still there, floating in pieces around the remains of the world, Flynn whispered. Another terrible mistake. Flynn had the heel of his palm pressed against the side of his head like he was trying to either hold something in or push something out. Say again? Henry asked, watching him. I don't know. I had a flash of something. The moon cracking in half, broken up by rivers of green light, the pieces tumbling as it fell apart. Falling down and down, and then all the screaming. Casey gently took his hand away from his head and turned his face to look at her. Do you want to go sit down somewhere, honey? I know this is important to you, but I think it's hurting you too. It's probably a good idea, Flynn, I told him. I know I said that I wanted you here, but not if this is going to make what's happening to you worse. I don't think it's going to stop, Dad. Damn. Even the time since we all sat down for breakfast, he seems to have aged. Maybe it was because I was looking for signs of it now. But I could swear his voice was becoming deeper. His mind was becoming clearer. Unfortunately, he's beginning to come to grips with the fact that there was nothing we could do to stop it. And he was going to have to deal with that on his own terms. He was losing his childhood in a swift and painful fashion. You may be right, but there's no reason for you to push it. Listen to your mom, Flynn. Flynn let out a long breath and nodded. I'll take you back upstairs, Casey said, helping him up. She pointed at me. Remember what you said. No more secrets. Okay. I walked over to Flynn. See? I said, clapping him on the shoulder. She hasn't let me get away with much either. Flynn smiled a worn-out grin and then went along with Casey. I saw a green flash in the next room as they went through a portal, probably to our quarters. Okay, let's get this show and tell over with. Show me the last two. Henry brought me over to the last ones. They are on the opposite edge of the other two. They first gave me the chills to see it. Takum seemed to have painted it to show the damage it suffered and the strange contrast left by the damage. The world was very much ideal, and still very habitable by the look of it. The oceans were blue and inviting, the forest areas lush and green, and there was enough land to live on for a large population. However, on one landmass, there was a massive circular area where something catastrophic had wiped all signs of organic life from the land, including the land itself like a crater. Around the edges, Katugum had drawn small gray and black objects. I couldn't make them out. Buildings, 
Maybe. Takum muttered, seeing where I was looking. It was all very dense. Perhaps that it was one city, hundreds of kilometers wide, or maybe a few cities together in a common bond. Either way, not much has remained. I watched it spin and saw no signs of any other large cities like those. How are you able to get so much detail? Teloth is not fixed in place, and can in fact move when desired. Silas is very accommodating. It seems like it, I said, smirking. I turned back to the painting. What's the name of this one? I believe it is called Eden. Huh. The name is familiar to me. I can't place it, though. You know, the one thing that seems to link these worlds is that they're all kind of screwed in one way or another. More accidents? Henry said, lighting up a smoke. Yeah, accidents. I stared back at poor Eden and looked again at the smooth outline of the rim destruction. Something was nagging me about the name and the damage. You, uh, remember something? I wish I did, I said, shaking my head. It feels as if I should, but I, I can't remember why not. Henry shrugged. Hobo comes to you. The last one is a strange one, though. At least it is to me. I looked at the last of the worlds. This one must be a pariah, then. I'd see how it got its name. It seemed a lot smaller than the others, and it was basically a gray ball hanging in space. The atmosphere was filled with white, stringy masses of clouds, and the land below was dotted with clumps of sharp, dark gray mountain peaks that seemed to have avoided being worn down over the centuries. Between the peaks were great sloping valleys of stone. I couldn't see anything for people to live on down there. Are there any forests or seas, Takoon? Any water at all? Not that I observed. This is as typical as I could paint. I guess you didn't need to have all those beautiful colors for this one. Not as such. So you think they're hiding on one of these? It's as good a guess as any. I doubt they're on Isolate, though. It's far too dangerous by the looks of it. The others are more likely, but I doubt the pariah would support much. Then again, we can't know anything about any of these unless we went there and checked. Haha, <laughs> yeah. We still need a way to get there. That's only 19. Jules was standing on her tiptoes, her fingers pointing from one world to the next. Her hood had fallen back and her sunglasses were tipped up onto her forehead. She was looking closely at the worlds. You're right. I know I'm right. Talith is the missing one, isn't it? That is correct, Takum confirmed. That planet moves, right? Henry sighed and chuckled. I thought about that, Jules. But how do you get from there to the next world? I guess that depends how close it can get. It can get pretty damn close if I remember right, Jules said. Manon drew it really close before. On my world, we could see it hanging above, like a moon. Henry turned to me, a wild look in his eyes. How high could either of you fly? Jules smiled and bowed. That is deep space, Henry. Nothing can live in that, Takum exclaimed. I remember this discussion with Sinea. There's no air, no heat, and it'll make anything supposed to a real mess. Remember what happened to Manon when Father chucked him out there? I recalled what Apostos had showed us. It had been pretty gruesome. I had no idea if it was even possible to break through the atmosphere of a world, let alone go outside it. I wouldn't know unless I tried, though. I think I can protect myself, maybe carry some of the atmosphere with me. But I don't know what will happen to my power after I leave the worlds. I mean, most of my power comes from the worlds. I don't know if that lasts beyond them. Hell of a time to be wrong. Your concern is touching, Jules. Let's hope for both of our sakes that it works. Wait. Well, you can fly as well, and I'm sure Mick can protect you and himself. Jules frowned. This is a shit plan. 
It's not even a plan yet. I doubt Silas will let me just show up and give it a shot, Willie. Henry shook his head. They don't really trust you yet, Mick. I'm sorry. Then there's the matter of Hearthlight. It is technically made to destroy their people. Rather painfully, I might add. It's a symbol of your rule currently, so... Yeah, I get that. There is an obvious way to get some incentive, though. If you can free this operative of theirs and work with them to stop Jack, then maybe he'll help us to convince Silas to let us go there. That's a big maybe. There are some of their folk that didn't even like it when we were there. I can only imagine how they react to you. I open my arms. Oh, come on, Henry. Everybody loves me. Jules rolled her eyes. I think the rescue idea is a good one, Mick. But I still think that Jack could be on Cathedral. He spent a lot of time there before we settled in Trelane. He was a criminal and a lowlife before he got his powers on New Haven. He intends to go back to his roots, if you know what I mean. They could be using Cathedral as a base. Anthem is not a friendly world to strangers, and they sure don't like you, Mick. If Jack figured that out, it could be an ideal place to lay low while they plan their next move. Hmm. Then I guess we'll have to do both. Time grows short, Mick. Which first? Hmm. Let's get Casey first. Fill her in. We're gonna need her help. Thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Keep sharing and subscribing to help me keep bringing the story to you. Come back next week for the next episode of The Lost Tribe, Darkest Tower.